brothers and sisters, there are times in the Christian life when we often find ourselves in deep distress and affliction. And the Lord uses often unexpected times and people and circumstances to comfort us amidst our afflictions and bring us relief. I remember a number of years ago weeping with my wife on a friend's couch as we mourned the loss of our first son. And our friend and his wife simply handed us hymnals. We began singing Jerusalem the Golden, a wonderful hymn that the Lord used to remind my wife and I of the glorious reality of a heavenly Zion that is coming, where we will be with God's people, including our departed child, and most importantly, with God himself. And the Lord often will work this way, doesn't he? Maybe with a a friend's text message of scripture, or an encouraging comment, a an uplifting sermon, a podcast, a book. The Lord uses various means to comfort and encourage His people throughout every age. Well, we come to the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel. Many of us may know who Daniel was. He was a man taken from his family when he was a little boy, taken from captivity. His nation was destroyed and plundered by the Babylonians. He was brought into captivity as a slave His name was changed. He grew up in an exiled court, ripped from his homeland. His family and friends slaughtered. The worship of his God suppressed. The temple where his people would worship had been destroyed. This was a man whose life was frequently threatened, famously, by being cast into the den with lions. His people frequently crushed. He was a man, often in great distress, And as we read, he receives a vision in the night. This firstly of four great beasts, each one more terrifying than the last. And as we, if you continue to read in the book of Daniel, we learn that these four beasts were four great kingdoms, likely Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So Daniel sees the strength of these kingdoms, these nations that will continually pummel the people of God. And he continues in his distress to see nation after nation growing in strength and vileness. Well, then how does the Lord comfort Daniel? Well, the same way he comforts you and I. He points Daniel to the Son of Man, who we know is Jesus the Christ. Well, first he sees a vision of the Ancient of Days and the glorious throne who will judge the nations. As the vision continues, we see verses 13 and 14. And these verses provide the crux of Daniel's hope and your hope. They call us to look to the Son of Man who has received a wondrous kingdom. Look to the Son of Man who has received a wondrous kingdom. And we'll consider this in two parts. First, the Son of Man in verse 13 and his reception of a wondrous kingdom in verse 14. Look to the Son of Man. Verse 13, Daniel says, I was watching in the night, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Where does the Son of Man go? Well, he, he first ascends on high. The language in the Hebrew is, is not of, a, uh, of the Son of Man descending from heaven to earth, but actually him coming with the clouds, ascending from earth up to heaven. This is a contrast of those four beasts. The four beasts come from the sea to the earth, while the Son of Man comes from the earth up to heaven. The beasts, this contrast is highlighting man's great condition. The best man can do is bestial. 
But man has become what he was once meant to rule, like the beasts themselves. That's the only description that can be described of any nation of men. But no nation is spotless because no man is spotless. Nations are merely nations of sinners. And every nation of sinner will have to be judged. Every kingdom of men will always lead to the great judgment before the ancient of days. So how then can anyone, how can any nation, how can any individual in a nation approach such a holy God? There needs to be the need of a true man, a second Adam, a man who doesn't have the infirmities of the kingdom of beasts, but who sets to establish a new kingdom. We need a man who can approach God on our behalf, a king whose kingdom is right with God. So we have the Son of Man. And the description in verse 13 describes him as both God and man. His deity is demonstrated. He comes literally with the clouds on the clouds. This is a poetic description often used of Yahweh coming to rescue his people. You read of that in Isaiah 19. This is Yahweh coming in the clouds to rescue a beleaguered and afflicted people. Well, then this attribute of calling him a son of man. This raises the mystery of this figure. He is a man who can come before the ancient of days, enter into the very presence of God who judges all nations, and he is not consumed by his presence. So who is this son of man? Well, I would encourage you as you, many of us begin our new Bible reading plans, many of us beginning in the Gospel of Matthew, and as you go through the Gospels this year, take note of all the titles attributed to Christ. And then take note of how many of what titles Christ attributes to himself. And you'll see an interesting thing. Jesus' favorite title for himself is the Son of Man. That he affirms this identity very clearly in Mark 14, verses 62 and 64. The Pharisees are interrogating him before his crucifixion. And the Pharisees ask him point blank, are you the Christ? And Jesus responds, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. We know his crucifixion. He suffers on the cross. He dies. Then he rises again on the third day. And then he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1. He's lifted up with the cloud and he's taken from their sight. As we read earlier today, Acts chapter 7, we see the stoning of Stephen. As he is being martyred, the first Christian martyr, martyred for his faith. He looks up to heaven. What's interesting, the text says that he sees Jesus in the clouds. He sees the risen Christ. But he doesn't say to the Pharisees, I see Jesus. He says, I see the Son of Man. The ascendant Son of Man demonstrates, dear ones, the success of Jesus' mission. When we read of Daniel 13 and 14, or Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14, we know that what we read has transpired has happened that Christ presently has established this kingdom as the faithful son of man in Daniel's distress God reveals a glimpse of Israel's consolation the Messiah Jesus Christ and in your distress dear ones take heart that we have a greater revelation than even Daniel had Daniel saw the Son of Man. We, by faith, see Jesus Christ, the ascendant and reigning and risen Lord. Well, who does the Son of Man go to? 
Well, he goes to the Ancient of Days, his father. And they, he comes to the Ancient of Days and before him, he's presented before him. We see this, this shadowy glimpse of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one in essence, three in person. And in this glorious mystery, we see that salvation is a triune affair. The Ancient of Days, the Father had sent the Son, the Son of Man, to save a people for Himself. As the Father sent the Son, we now read in verse 13, the Son coming back to the Father, mission accomplished, completed, fulfilled. The Son of Man is presented to the Ancient of Days. You look at the Ancient of Days, how he's described earlier in the chapter, the, the hair white as wool, his throne a flame of fire. This is this glorious presence of God that should remind us of Ezekiel or of Revelation. This glorious temple imagery. This throne room of heaven where this perfect and righteous judge, the Ancient of Days, who judges all things well, is presented the Son of Man. And you can see what tenderness the Son of Man enters the throne room of heaven. Why would He do such a thing? Well, for the love of His people. How is He able to enter the presence of the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man? Well, He has the dignity to enter. Christ approaches because He is the eternal Son of God and He has by rights allowed to enter the throne of heaven. He may by nature enter God's throne room and be not consumed. And he has the right. Because we can so stress the deity of Christ that we forget the holy humanity. And in his deity, he has the absolute dignity to be in God's presence. But he has the right as our mediator, as the God-man, to enter into the presence of his Father as the perfect man, the true man. He fulfilled the law for his people. He paid the penalty for his people. And he now presently intercedes for his people. Have you considered that today? Or at the end of this year, that every moment of 2023, if you're in Christ, Christ took your name before the Ancient of Days, the presence of his Father. We can read of the Ancient of Days, the Father of Lights, destroying the nations of beasts and nations rise and fall. And you can wonder, do you get lost as the nations crumble or rise. We have here Jesus Christ himself going into the presence of God on behalf of not humanity in abstract, not humanity in general, not an assortment of random people, but individual believers. Your name written upon his wrist he brings to the Father. And every time the Son of Man utters before the Ancient of Days, One of his people's names, it's stricken from the book of judgment. The debt has been paid. When Christ intercedes, he intercedes perfectly and fully. Dear ones, marvel with me at this Son of Man, Jesus Christ. He came meek and mild, gentle and lowly, not as a fearsome beast like the nations, but as a humble and lowly lamb. And he came and accomplished what he set out to do. Daniel sees the promise of what Christ will do. We know the fulfillment that Christ has ascended on high. He has defeated death. 
He has defeated the power of darkness. And he can break every remaining sin you have in your life. And he can comfort you through any and all distress you may have. He did not just come to try and establish his kingdom. As we see the kingdom of beasts constantly trying to do. That's the issue of all men throughout history. Trying to establish a nation that will endure forever. But no nation, no empire has lasted forever. They all come crumbling down. While Christ's nation keeps going strong and expanding. And dear ones, in your distress, take comfort As we read in the news, all the wars going on, all the economic stress, all the politics, all the the issues in our nation. Rest not in what men are doing, but rest in the risen Son of Man, whose kingdom cannot be shaken. And if you're a part of His kingdom, you can't be shaken. No matter what happens, in your distress, seek the Son of Man. Look to the Son of Man And consider that when you're here today, you enter into the very presence of the Ancient of Days. That Father of power and fury and light and glorious strength. We enter, we, we strode. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. We should consider more carefully. That do we really dare enter the presence of a God who could cast us into fire? Who could, with a, with a thought, remove us? from our comfortable lives? Do we dare enter into the presence of a God who will judge sin? And yet in Christ, we not only dare, we dare boldly enter the throne of grace because the Son of Man goes in there before us. Look to the Son of Man who receives from the Ancient of Days a wondrous kingdom. Verse 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all nations, peoples, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one that shall not be destroyed. Look to the Son of Man who receives from the Ancient of Days a wondrous kingdom. This kingdom is glorious, it's extensive, and it is everlasting. And this glorious kingdom we read as described as dominion, glory, and a kingdom that Christ has received a glorious kingdom a dim, with all dominion. And this refers to power and legal sovereignty. That the dominion that was given to the nations has been stripped and has been given to the Son of Man. The Prince of Darkness has been bound. He's been crushed. He's been defeated. Now Christ has secured His kingdom and He shares it with no other. No government entity. The head of the Christ's kingdom isn't even any elders or pope or bishops. It's not even the congregation. It is Christ himself. He's been given the legal right over his nation and he shares it with no other. He's been given a glorious state of high honor that the glory of the Son of Man's kingdom is not surpassed because there's no greater king to rule it. And what king is like our king? What king can stop the wind and the waves? What king will trade his life for wretched sinners? What king issues mercy when judgment's deserved? What king, when his friends abandon him, will restore them? What king is like our king? What king is like your king? 
Is the risen, reigning, glorious Son of Man your King, dear ones? For He is the King of heaven and earth. He's been given the legal right to rule. He's been given the highest honor to rule. And He's been given a particular kingdom to rule. Now He rules over the whole cosmos. There is no inch of all of creation with which Christ does not have sovereignty. He rules over the nations. He establishes kings to rise and to fall. But he particularly directs all things to the glory of his kingdom upon the earth, the church. The Son of Man guides and directs his people. I would would urge you, brothers and sisters, to make 2024 a year in which you pray that the Son of Man's kingdom would indeed expand not just upon the earth in general, but in particular places, particularly here in Lynchburg, that may the Son of Man, who has the legal right to rule, the highest honor to rule, and the dominion to rule, rule in the hearts of every man, boy, woman, and girl in Lynchburg, in Virginia, in the United States, in the world. But we know, don't we, in between the inauguration of the kingdom and its consummation at the end of time, it can be very tempting to grow very weary, to even despair. This is often a practice that many Christians go through. Maybe we ask, well, what's the point? I'm just one man or one woman. I'm just a boy, just a girl. What, what can I do to really expand the kingdom of God upon the earth? Or even when the government persecution comes, as we see in China or Nigeria, or as we see in Iran, or even in our own country. What can we do? It's easy to despair. It's easy to worry. It's easy to fall into a pattern of, well, I just need to put my head down and just survive. We live in an age called the church militant, the church at war. And what's remarkable is that the church on earth is variously afflicted But Calvin, a minister from the 16th century, comments, quote, when we see the church tossed about amidst various fluctuations, almost buried and devoured by continual shipwrecks, yet Christ is ever stretching forth his hand to save it from every sorrowful and horrible species of destruction. Dear ones, we do not have a kingdom that can possibly be destroyed. That we may see the church enter seasons of persecution or declension throughout the world in our own nation, our own families. That we must rest assured that the kingdom of the Son of Man cannot possibly be destroyed. It is too vast, too powerful, too everlasting to be defeated by the likes of mere men. And we know, don't we, that the kingdom of the Son of Man is expanding That Christ, the Son of Man, subdues us to himself by his Holy Spirit. That everyone here is a testimony that God's kingdom has remained expanding. You see throughout the world that empires have risen to crush the church, whether it is in Daniel's day of Babylon, whether it was Persia, whether it was Greece or Rome, whether it was Russia or communist China. There is no nation that will ever outlast the church. Ever. Take heart in Christ's glorious kingdom. And if there's ever a nation 
Consider China, who in the 1950s, Mao Zedong, during his horrible revolution, as he killed millions and millions of Christians, said the church of Christ was destroyed. There will be no more Christians. You look at the statistics now. There are tens of millions of believers. And that's their systematic oppression. Dear ones, take heart that no kingdom, no beasts of men can destroy what Christ is establishing. The Son of Man receives a glorious kingdom. He has received an extensive kingdom. All peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. All peoples, nations, and languages, a contrast to earlier in the book of Daniel, Daniel 3, 4, where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, issues a proclamation that all nations, peoples, tongues should worship him. Well, it's interesting, Nebuchadnezzar could only declare that as a man in the Middle East. Meanwhile, Christ declares it over all the earth, over all time and space, that all the nations and languages, that the elect from every nation shall come to worship the risen Christ. And that's why, dear ones, pray and plead for those outside of the church that they may join, because everyone will worship Christ. Either they will bask in the mercy and grace of God in heaven, or they will receive the fury of the Lamb in hell. Those are the two choices. There's no third way. There's no, well, what about? There's no second chance. So pray, plead, that the nations would hear of the risen Christ. Not just the nations, but your family. Fathers and mothers, speak to your children. Speak to your children of the wonderful covenant promises that have been given to them in their baptism. That they are in the kingdom, may they be of the kingdom. May they lay hold of these promises by faith. Dear ones, pray for the expansion of the kingdom that every tribe, nation, and tongue, starting with your family, your community, your neighbors, God's placed you with neighbors next to you. Talk to them. Speak to them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Invite them. And the glorious purpose of the extensive nature of the kingdom is the glory and worship and service of Christ himself. We expand the kingdom of God on earth because we go where God's worship isn't so that all may worship him, so that every corner of the earth may resound with a hymn of praise to the triune God. Look to the Son of Man who has received a glorious, extensive, and everlasting kingdom. As we come to the end of a new year, we're reminded of how transient this life is. Another year has gone by. We're all a year older, hopefully a year wiser. Our children are growing rapidly. We probably, some of us have probably buried people this past year. Friendships have arisen, new friends, and also friends have died. Or friendships have been broken. That once intimate relationships are now irreconcilably destroyed. And it can weigh heavy upon us the transience of this life, that all things come to the end. And the Lord has established seasons to remind us of these things, 
that the beauty of spring will always give way to the darkness of winter, which will always give way to the newness of life in spring. The times of fellowship will all come to an end because eventually someone will end up in the grave. Nothing will last ever except the glory of the Son of Man and his extensive and wondrous kingdom. That is the only thing that will ever last in this life. Children, do not ever rest in this life, the things of this world. Yes, they're enjoyable. Yes, they're good gifts. But if you lay your hopes upon the earth, your hopes will die in the earth. But if you cast your hopes to the glory of man, the Son of Man in heaven, that's where your hope relies, and it cannot be destroyed or end or ever be taken away. Look to his everlasting kingdom that will endure forever because God planned it, God built it, God preserves it. Put your hope in Christ who presently reigns and his kingdom is everlasting and time and glory it cannot be destroyed. Though the church be assailed on every side, she cannot be shaken from her strong tower and mighty fortress who is Christ himself. Dear ones, look to the Son of Man who has received a wondrous kingdom. Look to where he goes, to the highest heavens presently interceding for you by name. And his ascension itself displays the accomplishment of his work. The grave could not hold him. And if you are in Christ today, you are presently made fit by the Holy Spirit. You are presently being conformed, transformed to look like Christ, to be brought into Zion as a a well-fitted, faithful citizen of heaven. And do not be discouraged if and when you find your progress lacking. Rather, look afresh to the Son of Man and be encouraged, for He is now where you will one day be if you believe on the Son of Man, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to where he goes, to the Ancient of Days, the Father. He goes to the Father, and in him you are enabled to cry those wonderful words, Abba, Father. You don't refer to God, the Ancient of Days, as merely just the judge of the nations. But in Christ we go to him as we would a child to a father. A gracious, loving, kind father. And Christ intercedes with his Father on our behalf. And there's no convincing or cajoling the Father delights to answer the prayers of the Son out of love for His people. And we see this in the Ancient of Days response. He gives to the Son a kingdom. And it's a glorious kingdom because your King is all glorious. He rules and reigns on high over His people as our Redeemer, as our Savior, as our Shepherd, as our Friend. His glorious kingdom extends to all the earth. And do not hesitate to join, for you will either bask in the presence of of the Son or be cast into the fire with the beasts. Pray that His kingdom would expand into your own heart if you do not love the Lord right now. Pray that it would expand to your children, to your spouse, to your parents, to your neighbors, to the nation itself, that our nation would be one that throughout the land would resound in the praise of the triune God. Dear ones, in times of distress and declension, when things seem uncertain, when seasons happen and times change, 
Remind yourself to look to the Son of Man whose kingdom cannot be shaken nor end. As the old hymn goes, amid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits for the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. I will take comfort in the Son of Man who is seated at the right hand of the Father and has received a glorious, extensive, and everlasting kingdom. Amen. Let us pray.